What is going on, everyone? This is Investor Thrive, the podcast, the Painless Wholesaling Podcast, where basically our goal here is to bring you in to learn about real estate. And so you can learn how to do it through the experience of others. And today we have Charles Williams in here. Charles, you're from Dallas, Texas, right? Is that where I'm it is? I'm in the Dallas area. I live in Arlington, but yeah, uh, mm. generally Dallas, Texas. I love it. Yeah. So I'm grateful to have you on here today. And everybody, we're going to learn some important stuff today. Charles is on a mission. He's on a mission and, and we're going to learn more about his mission because guys, it's not all about just you flipping houses, wholesaling, making money. It's about helping and serving others and loving God's children. So this is what we're going to talk about today is dive in into how Charles got into real estate and how he even stumbled into and, and is doing what he's doing right now. So Charles, can you give us a little intro to yourself A you know, quick 30, 30 second minute intro, you know, about yourself? Yeah. So I started my career off as an engineer. I worked for an engineering firm, then started my own engineering company, decided that I wanted to make some money. Um, <laughs> so I went back to grad school, got a master's in accounting and finance, and wow. then ended up in the commercial real estate business. Uh, started out as a commercial mortgage broker, and then eventually a correspondent lender where institutions paid us to lend out their money. Then we became a direct lender uh, and now we're, we mainly fo focus on real estate development where we turn dirt into money. So uh, wow. that's kind of a quick down and dirty uh, history about me. I love that. And it sounds like you've really made some big jumps. Uh, I've been reading a book called 10X is easier than 2X. Sounds like you made a bunch of 10X moves over your, yeah. your journey from, you know, being an engineer. That is a big move, but you just kept going and going. Is that is that true that you feel like, you know, looking back, you've just been leveling up? Uh, every so often? What I've learned over the years is uh, bigger deals are a lot easier to do than small deals. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That is powerful. That's a powerful statement right there. Cause I think a lot of people probably think the other way around, right? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people want to try to start with residential real estate and then get into commercial, but they are two totally different businesses. You want to make real money. You commercial real estate's where it's at. You can apply some of the same business principles, but understand it's not the same business. Um, and so, uh, but, but yeah, you make significantly more money on commercial real estate than you do uh, residential. My first transaction in commercial real estate, I made $146,000. And, and I, I, I didn't even, I was like, man, did I do something illegal? <laughs> I, I couldn't believe I made that much money and didn't owe it to anyone. Wow. And so, so yeah, you make a significantly more money doing commercial than you do residential. Do you feel like it takes longer to do a commercial deal than it would like a re residential? Oh, well, yeah, I, I think, I mean, to close a, a commercial transaction can take, you know, anywhere from 60 to 90 days. Okay. Um, it's hard for me to really compare. I've never done a residential transaction other than mm -hmm. buying my house, but I right. bought my home in less than 30 days. So I would imagine that's probably the difference. Interesting. And I'm just curious, before we dive into uh, your, your mission that you have with Project uh, PRC, correct? Um, mm -hmm. we're, I, I'm curious, on that deal that you had, was it a flip? Was it you bought it and then you resold it quickly? Did you wholesale it? How, how did you make that money? Well, that was when I first started in commercial real estate. So I worked as a commercial mortgage broker. Mm -hmm. So my job was to uh, help someone who needed capital or financing to acquire this property and, and to match them with a uh, institutional investor who's willing to give them the money to acquire the property. For, for being that matchmaker, 
I made $146,000. Amazing. Amazing. And the property, was it on, was it listed? Was it, uh, h- how did you find the property? Um, well, well my client uh, found the property because, you know, remember I worked on the finance side of the Okay. Gotcha. Uh, but the property is in a small town in Mississippi. Uh, they got it for a really, really good price. Yeah. Uh, that's why it was really easy to finance. I'm not sure how they found it, but a lot of times, when you find those off-market opportunities, it's because of relationships. Uh, of that, that's why it's so important to build your network uh, and to build, you know, that that reputation where people can trust you. You're honest. Uh, business will flow your way if you have integrity. Wow. I've seen a lot of people that know how to cheat and steal and lie. Uh, they might get one or two deals, but their reputation will kill them in the long term. So yeah. If you have a great reputation, business will flow your way. Yeah, this is a long-term game right here. You yeah. you, you want to do one, two deals, maybe you can be lie, cheat, and steal, but you're not going to last. And if, right. nobody wants to get into this business just to do one or two deals. That's not not yeah. worth it. But we have been doing this for over 20 years, so we protect our reputation. We're a company. We're a business of integrity. That is amazing that uh, on the finance side, you're able to bring in that much. Because in my my side of the business, what I teach is wholesaling or finding the property and then uh, you know purchasing it and then selling it. So you made that off of financing. Wow, that's, that's oh well. You think about it. We we earn anywhere from depending on how we structure the deal. We right. earn anywhere from one to three points on a transaction. My average right. deal was twenty million dollars. So three points on a twenty million dollar transaction is six hundred thousand dollars. Amazing, amazing. Yeah. So that a hundred percent makes total sense because you're you're dealing with the points of the the purchase price, right? Like of how what you sold for with wholesaling and uh, kind of what we deal with on the residential side. Depending on what how low you get it and what you can sell it to someone for, that's your spread. So we make it depending on what you get it for and what you resell it for. But that's that's amazing too that you you did that and you do that. So let's let's talk. Let's dive into uh, your mission. So tell me how you you what this your mission is and how you came across doing this after you know your journey that you kind of let us know about. Well, that, that's a very good question. You know, obviously I've had a great career. Um, I have a home in in Arlington. I had a lived in a very nice high rise, uh, mm-hmm. also in Houston. Uh, and you know, you walk outside of these very nice places or outside my neighborhood, and you see people laying on the street. And it's becoming more and more common these days. And then, you know, you also just being in the industry, hearing tenants complain about rising rent and how they can't afford it. We hear about stories where people uh, may work in a community, but they have to drive 30, 45 minutes uh, to live outside the community because there's no affordable housing. And I just decided one day that if people like me don't come together and do something to give back just a little, that uh, our entire community is going to suffer. And when I say community, I'm talking about our nationwide community. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have to give attention to the affordable housing issue and the homelessness issue. And that's why uh, I was one of the uh, individuals uh, who came together to start this organization called Project PRC. Uh, it is an organization that uh, whose mission is to end homelessness, provide affordable housing for our uh, workforce, our C-collar workers, I'm, I'm sorry, our gray-collar workers, our blue-collar workers, and to make sure that we have suitable student housing for individuals seeking an education. Uh, you'll be surprised that some of the, even the prominent universities have poor student housing for their students. So this nonprofit organization is designed to address those issues. 
So can I ask you questions deeper into the project and how it's going to get, you're going to fulfill that mission? Yeah, absolutely. What's the goal? Is it to, to attack it in one market at a time to, to just do it all over? Well, how are you going to uh, accomplish this mission? That's a very good question. So we're focused right now in Texas because I'm in Texas, but our charter from the federal government allows us to uh, create or, you know, to duplicate our efforts uh, here in Texas all over the United States. The goal is for uh, Project PRC to purchase uh, a hundred, a minimum of 155,000 apartment communities in addition oh. to hotels and assisted living facilities. So uh, we have also, in addition to that, a rental assistance program, and we can talk a little bit about that. Uh, we also are looking at putting together a down payment assistance program, uh, but the properties we own uh, will be set aside for affordable housing so that individuals who can't afford a, a market rate apartment, they can move to one of our afford, affordable housing communities. Wow. Okay. So the government is, uh, is are they helping you uh, with financing? Is that what their their part is in on this? Like, how do they play into this? That's an excellent question. So what a lot of people don't know is that prior to the 1980s, there were programs that provided a safety net for uh, individuals requiring affordable housing. But when the Reagan administration came, they eliminated all those social programs. Uh, they decided that they didn't want to be considered a socialist country, right? Uh, so, you know, let's not care about people. Mm -hmm. But one interesting thing that they did was they allowed private citizens to create nonprofit and certain nonprofit organizations have the privilege of doing something that only a government entity can do. Mm -hmm. And that is to issue tax exempt municipal bonds to access public capital on the bond market. By creating this organization, we kind of become like a de facto government agency in mm. that we can issue tax-exempt municipal bonds to fund the acquisition of these multifamily properties and convert them to affordable housing. Wow. And you said 155,000 doors? Is that what the goal is? 155,000 apartment communities. Oh my god. That gosh. could be over a million doors. <laughs> And, and now the reason that number comes from, yeah. um, there are 155 million apartment communities in the United States. Okay, so it's 10, you're not that's 1%. 1%. So 1%. they're saying, hey, take down 1%. That's what right. they're and, and let's use that to make sure that individuals who are our service workers, uh, who are uh, our manufacturing workers, uh, people at the lowest income levels. Let's take 1% of our current inventory of properties and make sure that those people have a place to live in the communities where they work. Wow, it sounds like a giant uh, project to be on, like a big undertaking. Project you know, PRC, baby. <laughs> so let, let's just take down one uh, community. So if you take one, you said you're closing on one, correct? Yeah, in so, so in that's... It, so Pioneer Realty Capital, which is the corporation I own, we are a real estate development company. And 80% of the multifamily developments that we engage in, we develop and then we turn around and we sell to the nonprofit. Okay. Okay. And so, so the project that we're currently, we just finished the student housing project outside of Houston, Texas. And now we're going to sell that uh, to the nonprofit. We have another 
portfolio of 19 properties, about a $750 million transaction. Those 19 properties uh, we're going to acquire, and then we're going to turn around and sell that to the nonprofit. So that's how we're building. Uh, we have a mission to acquire a, at minimum a thousand units a year, but right now we're on track to acquire anywhere from six to 7,000 units a year. Wow. How are you finding these uh, these deals? Is it of relationships on the market? How are you finding all these uh, opportunities? Well, you know, it's uh, kind of the luck of the draw because now with this new economic climate mm -hmm. where uh, interest rates have gone up significantly, there are a lot of people that were in the apartment flipping business, right, that are now upside down. Mm -hmm. uh, and so now they need a way out. Okay. And so, so it, just, it just happened that our federal government and its infinite wisdom decide to significantly raise rates. Now it's hurting a lot of people, but it benefits Project PRC because now there are a lot of properties on the market that we can acquire, put in our portfolio and convert those and use those for affordable housing. So do you have, do you have a certain amount of funds that you're, uh, that they've enabled you to use that you're, you're keeping track? Okay. We can't overpay on this property or like, how well, are you well, deciding? We still have to make a smart business decision. Of course. Uh, because of the fact that we are issuing tax exempt municipal bonds, the credit rating of the nonprofit as managers of the nonprofit, we have to maintain. So the, um, nonprofit has to have good assets in it in order to maintain its credit rating. Uh, and that's going to induce bond buyers to purchase those bonds. Okay. So we can't go out and buy properties and make bad decisions. The properties that we purchase have to be economically feasible, but we are able to make properties more economically feasible because of the fact that as a nonprofit, we don't pay property tax. Wow. So, uh, if, that property, it may not pencil out as a market rate transaction, but when you subtract out the property tax, it might be a good deal. So that's an advantage to us as a buyer. We can come in, be a little more aggressive on the buy because of the fact the government has given us a way to create a significant discount. And then in addition, remember, because we are a charitable nonprofit, we're also uh, collecting money through our charitable efforts and our donation programs. So for me as a wholesaler, or as a lot of my listeners are, they're constantly looking for deals for people, for buyers uh, that are on market or off market, whether they get it under contract on market or off market, they negotiate. Would that be something where they'd be able to reach out to you if they had a, a apartment complex community under contract Absolutely. and they could sell, you know, We're wholesale to you? buying apartments, hotels, and assisted living facilities but we like portfolios. It's an easier transaction. And we talked about scale earlier. It's easier for me to do a bond transaction that's $100 million or more, okay? If it's a one or two million, then it's not something we're interested in. We're looking for someone to go out and accumulate a portfolio that's at least $100 million. Okay. And, if, and if the deal pencils out, then it's definitely something we're interested in. In a portfolio of $100 million in Texas, how many communities, apartment complex communities, is that usually? Or how many doors generally? Well, right now we're, we're buying, uh, we're seeing prices um, from about one hundred and sixty to 185000 per unit. Okay. Uh, so, you know, if you take a hundred, you take a hundred million dollars divided by 160,000, that tells you what's that about 300 unit, maybe 400 unit apartment complex. Right. So, you know, it's not hard to get a hundred million dollar deal. Yeah. 
Wow. So so if I wanted to, I could say, hey, forget the single family game. Let me go find some uh, deals for Charles and the PRC and, and maybe we can work something out, a portfolio. We're a buyer. That's what we're doing. And we're a buyer with a purpose. Mm -hmm. We need affordable housing in communities that will not let a developer come in and build affordable housing. We need to go into those communities, buy those market rate deals, convert them to affordable housing so that the service workers in that community have a place to live. Is there a, like a map or like a heat map or something that would show you, okay, the, this is where the service workers mainly live. This is where we need to target. Well, there are service workers in every, every major market. Okay. Right. There's a McDonald's in every major market. Right. There you go. Yeah. There's a Walmart in every major market. Right. I mean, where do those people live? That's a great question. <laughs> it's expensive. Very expensive. Yeah. So, so let me ask you something a little bit more uh, personal. So is the mission just to provide affordable housing or are you going a little bit deeper with or the goal? Is it a little bit deeper to solve the issue, the underlying issue of why maybe they can't afford their properties. Maybe they're just not that good at finances. Maybe they have addictions or uh, have issues that they're spending their money not wisely. Is it is that mission to kind of tackle that or is that not even something you're remotely interested well, in? Well, I, I appreciate that question, but let's look at uh, economic history. And you can look at the rate in which costs have gone up, mm -hmm. okay? And, and then add inflation to that. And then look at wages. Wages don't go up at the same rate that our costs go up. No. And then when you put inflation in, it, it looks even worse. You know, a worker for 30 years ago, you know, which uh, would have been in the late 1990s. I, I'll give you an example just based on me. When I came out of school as an engineer, I made uh, $1,000 a week. Mm -hmm. I, I graduated in 1988. I went to work for Johnson Controls. I made $1,000 a week. My rent was $350 a month. Engineers coming out of school right now, and this is considered a good job, mm -hmm. make about $75,000 a year, wow. which is about $1,200 a week, right? The rent today, that means you want to live somewhere decent, you're looking minimum $1,500 a month. It's true. Now, that that's a good job. Now, just imagine if you're making $10 an hour or $15 an hour. The reason that guy can't pay his rent has nothing to do with an addiction or improper use of their money. True. They're not earning enough money to keep up with the cost of living. Yeah, no, that's that's a good point. That's a very good point because I think a lot of the times when I listen to podcasts or this that they talk about, you know, people just they, they have issues, right? They that's what they attribute it to. And I, you know, I was wondering. I was at a meeting recently with a very very wealthy individual. Mm -hmm. I won't call his name because this story will probably embarrass him. <laughs> but yeah. we were at this very nice restaurant. Uh, this guy's had a phenomenal career and literally it just kind of fell in his lap. And um, we were talking about a portfolio. He owned a, a huge portfolio of apartments. We were having the same conversation and he was like, well, you know, they're raising minimum wage to $15 an hour and these people should be able to afford the rent. And mm -hmm. I asked him, I said, at your worst apartment, how much is rent? Right. At your worst apartment. And it happened to be somewhere between seventeen and eighteen hundred dollars a month. Wow. Good for him. And, That's a lot. <laughs> and, and I asked him, I said, so how he didn't even know what fifteen dollars an hour 
equate it to. It's $600 a week in case you're wondering. Right, right. Okay. I said, so that person has to work three weeks just to live in your apartments and you think they're doing, they're doing good. Yeah. And see, that's the disconnect between the thinking of the rich upper middle class and the poor, the, yeah. the rich and the upper middle class, they don't get it at all. Trust me. I run in those circles. Right. They don't right. get it. And so in their mind, it must be they're mishandling their money. They don't have any money to mishandle. That's the problem. That's nuts. Yeah, that's absolutely crazy. So the solution is the Project PRC for you, but do you feel like there's anything else that uh, will happen or can help out these uh, the service workers, the people who can afford? Because you're right, it's going to keep going. At least I think it's it has just- to because costs are going up. Our labor costs are high. Um, we created this crisis where we can't get in inexpensive labor for mm-hmm. a lot of reasons. We can't, our material costs go up. We have so much that, and I'm a developer, remember that. So it costs me a certain amount to build it. Right. Right. And, and so I have to charge a certain amount for rent. I have to, because yeah. it costs me so much to build it. The solution long-term, I think this is a start, but uh, we have to do more. There ha- have to be more organizations like mine. Mm-hmm. And, and But here's the thing I, I want you and your listeners and anyone who cares to think about. It only takes a little bit, guys, to make a big impact. We have this program called our 10 for 10 program, where we're asking individuals to go to projectprc.org and donate $10 and then have 10 of their friends or more donate $10 and then tell those 10 friends to ask 10 of their friends individually to donate $10. And in doing that, that little bit, we can provide a safety net because imagine a world where we don't have service workers. Imagine a world where we don't have people who can come and cut our yards and wash our windows and clean our homes and, you know, serve us food. Just imagine that world. Okay. Imagine a world where you have thousands of people living on the street. When people become desperate, they become animalistic. And I don't care where you live, it will impact you. Now, if you don't believe that's the case, look at some of the South American countries where that's happened. Yeah. It's wild. Well, I, I really appreciate you coming on here. So projectprc.org, is that right? Projectprc.org. Go today, donate $10. Tell 10 of your friends to donate $10. If you have $10 and 10 friends, you're golden. There you go. Hopefully you got at least 10 friends. <laughs> Hopefully you got 10 <laughs> friends. Well, I, a pleasure and an honor to have you on here. I, I wish you the best of luck in your mission. And please, everyone, go check out P- Project PRC. And, uh, man, yeah, it's, uh, I was a little mis misled. I, I, but you're right. If you really break down the math, they're not making really anything enough to, right. to pay their, and it's honestly, it's honestly crazy. That's, that's honestly crazy. And, and we it. are going to pay. Don't think that we're going to escape. We, we will pay. Yes. And it's easier to just participate and try to provide the safety net. You talk about food, just normal essentials like food, a cell phone now that is normally essential for people and, and rent. That's They probably barely got enough for that. That's wild. That's right. That's right. Okay. Well, right. Charles, appreciate your mission. And everybody here at the Painless Wholesaling Podcast, let's do what we can to change the world for better. All right. Thanks, Charles. Thank you. Appreciate it.